Good morning, church. Let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please, Lord, by the power of your spirit, open the ears of our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. The passage this morning opens our eyes as Christians to the marvelousness of the grace of God and to the fact that every blessing that we have in Christ is ours only because God has determined to set his love upon us, to rescue us out of our state of sin and misery and to raise us to a new life in and through Jesus Christ. What Paul does in this passage is to paint a vivid contrast between what man is by nature and what man can become by grace. This is the wonderful and very humbling truth about the salvation in Christ. Our salvation and the new life in Christ it is all by the grace of God alone. Note the relationship between chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and the preceding context. It would seem that Paul is resuming onwards the theme in chapter 2, verse 1, that he had broken off in chapter 1, verse 20. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, he prayed that the Spirit would reveal to us God's incomparably great power for those who believe, a power exemplified and expressed in the resurrections of Jesus from physical death. 
that very power, that same divine energy, is no less exemplified and expressed in the resurrection of the elect from spiritual death. When we compare chapter one verse twenty and chapter two verses five to six, we will see even as Christ was raised and exalted and seated at the right hand of God, so also the elect have been made alive and raised, exalted and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. In some. Christ's destiny has become ours. Here in chapter two, verses one to three, Paul magnifies the marvelous grace of God by first revealing to us the severity of the situation that we were in, the helplessness of our natural condition from which Christ has rescued us. To the praise of His glorious grace. In verse one, we read, "As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live." Concerning their condition, Paul says that they were dead. This is a strange way to talk about people who only a few words later. Are also said to have been living, but the meaning is clear. Though alive according to the flesh, and though walking in this world, they were in fact dead, spiritually speaking, in their transgressions and sins. Prior to faith in Christ, they were the walking dead, and this is the natural condition of all. Who are born into this world, now that the fallen race is fallen into sin, in our natural state, though we are alive according to the flesh, we are dead according to the spirit. This idea should not surprise anyone who is familiar with the scriptures. In fact, the notion of spiritual death. As the consequence of sin is established very early in the pages of the Scripture. To Adam, God said, "But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." Genesis chapter two, verse seventeen. Some have wondered. What we are to make of the fact that Adam went on living for many, many years after eating of that forbidden tree. Was God mistaken when He said, "For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die"? No, God was not wrong. The scriptures are very clear that Adam. Though he continued to walk in the world which God had made, passed from a state of spiritual life to a state of spiritual death when he sinned against God, and physical death would eventually come. The rest of verses two and three 
help to clarify what this spiritual deadness involves. Notice four things. First, those dead in sin follow the ways of this world. Being dead to God and to the heavenly things of God, they live for this world only and according to its values and ways. Second, those dead in sin follow the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is a reference to the Satan, the evil one, who Paul refers to elsewhere as the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We know that Satan is not God, nor is he a God, for there is only one. Instead, Satan is a created being, an angel who is fallen. But Paul refers to him as the God of this world because if people do not honor God as God, they have Satan as God. This might seem like a very radical way of speaking. When we think of those who honor Satan as God, we tend to think only of those who do it intentionally and knowingly. And certainly, there are those who openly admit to worshipping Satan as God. But the scriptures reveal that all who are alienated from God and in their sin do in fact have Satan as God, regardless if they know it or not. The scriptures teach that either we have God as Lord or the evil one as Lord. Third, Paul tells us that those dead in sin lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. To be alive to God is to live for His glory and for that which pleases Him. To be dead to God is to live for ourselves, to please the flesh, to carry out the desires of the body and mind. Those who are in Christ do not perfectly live for the glory of God. We do sometimes still live to please the flesh. Indeed, corruption remains with us. But those are not in Christ, those dead in their sins, live only in the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Fourth, Paul says that those dead in sin, as we were by nature, deserving of wrath. Think about this phrase. Paul says that all who are not in Christ 
are by nature deserving of wrath. The word nature here refers to the natural innate or inborn characteristic of a thing. So by nature and according to natural birth, men and women are children who are objects of God's wrath. This, Paul says, is our natural and inborn condition now that we have fallen into sin. So there is a sense in which we all are God's children. He is the creator of all, all come from him, and will return to him. But given our sins, we are not by nature beloved children of God, but children of wrath, Paul says. Notice the repeated emphasis peppered throughout this text that this is true for all of mankind. This is a condition of all who are born into this world who are not yet in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this was our condition when God, in His mercy and grace, rescues us, redeems us, and adopted us as sons through faith in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad to know the truth? I will admit, this truth can be hard to swallow. This truth is humbling. This truth is a bit troubling. But it is the truth. And it is this truth concerning the terribly helpless and hopeless situation that we were in that enable us to most fully appreciate the marvelous grace that has been shown to us and the lavish love that has been bestowed upon us by God. The bad news turned to good news in verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Here Paul magnifies the marvelous grace of God by revealing that it was God who took the initiative to save us in Christ, we being without hope and unable to help ourselves. God was gracious, merciful, and kind to us, and Jesus Christ is our heroic Savior. There are some who think of God the Father as being angry and stern, and as Jesus Christ as the one who is merciful and kind who somehow managed to convince the Father to have mercy on us, to forgive us and to receive us as his own. And while it is indeed true that God is able to justly forgive our sins because the punishment due to us was paid by Christ, it is not true to imagine a disunity between the Father and the Son, as it pertains to our redemption. To the contrary, the mercy, grace, and love of the Father was the cause of our redemption in Christ. It was the Father who sent the Son, in other words, 
it was a father who took the initiative, and this he did, being moved by nothing more than his mercy, grace, and love. It is true that Christ bore the wrath of God in our place. This was so that God might both be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Romans chapter 3 verse 26 But that does not change the fact that the love of the Father was the fundamental cause of our redemption in Christ and our adoption as sons. By nature, we were all children of wrath. But in love, the Father determined to adopt us as sons. Through faith in His beloved Son, the obedient and risen Christ. Verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in transgressions, here we have yet another reminder of our pitiful and helpless condition. We were dead. We could not help ourselves. But this is when God made us alive with Christ. So what did the Father who is rich in mercy and great in love do for those who were dead. He made them alive, just as God breathed life into Adam's body at the time of creation. So too, God breathed spiritual life into the souls of those who are dead in their sins at the time of regeneration. We do not regenerate ourselves. We cannot cause ourselves to be born again, but must be born again from above if we are to live in Christ. It is God who makes a dead soul come back to life. And this He does through the Son and by the Spirit, being moved by His magnificent mercy, His superabundant love, and His marvellous grace. It is the clear teaching of Scripture that men and women do not cause themselves to be made alive spiritually. It is also common sense. Dead things cannot choose to live, but must be made alive. Things that are not cannot choose to be. Things that are not must be called into existence by another. Truly, as Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says, Our God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And this He has done in regards to our spiritual life. Notice how Paul again emphasizes that this new life that is ours, it is ours in Christ, or through our union with Him. In other words, God does not simply make a person spiritually alive. Instead, He makes them alive in Christ through union with Him and by faith. Paul mentioned three things that we have by virtue of our union with Christ. In verse 5, we read that God made us alive with Christ. 
In verse 6, we learn that God raised us up with Christ. And after that, Paul in verse 6 tells us that God seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So it is in Christ and by our union with him that we are made alive, raised up and seated in heaven. The idea is that these things are ours only because we are in Christ. Being united to him by faith because Christ was made alive, raised and seated in heaven, so too are we. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, it is because God has given you new life in him. God has raised you to a newness of life now and will raise you from the grave at the end of time. For Christ is risen. And because Christ is glorified at the right hand of the Father now in the heavenly places, you also are glorified with him. And in him, you will be glorified for all eternity. And all of this, our new life in Christ, is being co-rised and co-seated with him is by the grace of God alone. You probably notice that there is a little phrase in the middle of verse 5, which almost seems out of place. By grace, you have been saved, Paul exclaims. It almost feels like Paul couldn't help himself. He is rolling along talking about what is ours in Christ, but he seems to interrupt himself, saying, By grace you have been saved. This is deliberate, of course. He introduces this important truth here because he will return to it in a moment to develop it further. So why did God make these who were dead in their sins alive in Christ, co-rise them and co-seat them in the heavenly places? What was God's reason for doing this? Verse 7 answers this question beginning with the words, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The meaning is this, after Christ returns and for all eternity, the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness will be put on display for all to see in those whom God has redeemed. The redeemed ones, the ones who have been forgiven and adopted as sons through faith in Christ and by virtue of their union with him, will be like trophies that testifies to God's superabundant love and marvelous grace which will forever adore his new creation. Thirdly and lastly, Paul magnifies the marvelous grace of God by revealing that all that we do in Christ 
of believing and our good works are themselves gifts from God. In verses 8 through 10, we learn that God has saved us graciously so that we might live for Him. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved. It is all by God's grace. The redeemed will enjoy eternity with God in the new heavens and earth, only because God has been gracious to them. He did not give them what they deserve as children of wrath. Instead, He lavished His love upon them and adopted them as sons. And this He did for no reason than because He is merciful and kind. We are saved by the grace of God alone. But notice that this salvation is received through faith. When a gift is exchanged, the gift is presented by one and then it is received by another. And how do we receive God's gift of salvation? How do we come to have it as our own? We receive it through faith. We lay a hold of our salvation and all that it entails by believing upon Christ and trusting in Him. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And then Paul adds, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even our faith here is a gift from God. It's not anything we can take credit for. Let's draw our attention back to the text which we have already considered. Remember that men and women are naturally dead in their sins. Dead men cannot believe, but must be enlivened so that they will believe. Also notice what Paul says next in verse 9. This is not by works, so that no one can boast. If faith was something that arose from within us, as opposed to a grace or gift imparted to us from God, then there most certainly be some room for boasting. If this were the case, then when I ask you, why are you in Christ? Why are you saved? Then you would be right to say, because I believed. But there is no room for boasting. And the reason is that all of this, the salvation, the grace, and the faith are gifts from above. We are saved by grace and the grace of God alone. There is no room for human merit. There is no room for human boasting either. Lastly, salvation is not by works, but for works. Verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Though good works are excluded as the prerequisite of salvation, 
they are essential as the subsequent evidence of it. The good works themselves were preordained by God. Paul clearly states that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God's determination to bring us to glory entails the intermediate steps of conforming us through good works to the image of His Son. And it was not only our initial reception of salvation that God purposed in eternity past, but also our ethical activity, our deeds, our thoughts, our works. So here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we have the whole book of Ephesians condensed. Paul has informed us here of the hopeless and helpless condition that we were in. We were dead in our sins. He has revealed to us how marvelous God's grace truly is. Though we were dead, God made us alive, and He has shown what the end result will be. Having been saved by the grace of God alone and being eternally grateful now with hearts filled with love, we are to go on living for Him. We are to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We have nothing to boast about. We are God's workmanship, not our own. And we are where we are today only by the grace of God. We are where we are today only because God chose to love us when we didn't deserve it. My friends, if you have never done it before, I invite you right now to humbly receive God's gifts of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Just put your trust in Christ. Call upon Him and ask Him to save you from your sins. Ask Him to give you a new position with Him and to change your life forever. Trust Christ in your life and no longer find yourself separated from God. Instead, find yourself seated with Christ, all because He has saved you by His grace. Then, and only then, can you live the life God designed for you, to live and impact your world for Christ. As for us Christians, the only way we will ever make any lasting difference in our world is through service. It is through those good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. May God grant us strength to do those good works. Amen. God bless you.